Warning, the following show uses bad language, politically incorrect statements, unfiltered comments, and topics that may cause a state of annoyance. Neither shitcoin.com or JMO are responsible for what you do with your money. This is not financial advice. Put the needle on the record. Welcome to Wage Cucking with JMO. Okay, uh, welcome to the first uh, inaugural episode of Wage Cuckin' with JMO. Um, Andreas and the team at Shitcoin.com allowed me to have my own podcast, and our first guest is uh, Director of Autistic Communication, DAC, Brian Mikon. How you doing, Brian? Yes, I'm good, JMO. <laughs> I'm on the first ever, I'm on the first, this is the first Wage Cuckin' with JMO. Uh, how does it feel to be the first Wage Cuck? That's amazing. It's going to be, I could tell it's going to be like a multi-year Seinfeld-like run. In this motherfucker, for sure. I mean, it's going to be amazing, isn't it? How could this miss? You got me on his first. All right, Brian. uh, I guess let's start off with your history uh, with Bitcoin. I've known you for quite some time. Uh, You're a poker player. I was an ex-poker player as well. Uh, Tell me a little bit about your past and how you got into Bitcoin. Fun to be ex-poker. You know, got to love it. Uh, Probably go out there and play the World Series this summer. But that still doesn't count, obviously. It doesn't count. I'm just going to go yeet the money in, late reg, do whatever I want. But uh, I started playing online poker for whatever reason, just like you did. You're not going to go get a real job. So you're going to play poker, you're going to invest, you're going to do whatever. And, uh, you know, that just, I guess like the real story is just, you know, sure, I made an online poker forum, but who cares? And I'd even made a golden tee forum before that. But none of that matter. Really, it all starts at Bitcoin, right? I mean, that's where all stories basically start these days. And so 2011, I had already been on television for some World Series of Poker, whatever, whatever, minor poker guy, little C minus poker celeb. And I decided when I found Bitcoin that this would solve all of our stupid gambler issues that we used to have where you would win finally and then you'd get a check from like a Canadian bank drawn on US funds and you'd go to the bank and you'd just have it. You'd be like, hi, I'd like to deposit this to my account. And they look at you and the bank's like, well, what is this from, young man? Why do you have this money? And then you're like, oh, well, because I'm a consultant. (laughs) <laughs> and then like they would like be like a three-week wait and i would just you'd be so pissed and you'd be like all right like what the fuck? like what how does money work like this and then so bitcoin hit and then you're just like oh well that is an incredibly like leaps and bounds better way for money to work than the current ridiculousness that i deal with now and then i start thinking and i'm like well you know my stupid you know for lack of a better term white people problems aren't probably like what most people really have to deal with they have real problems like you know they're you know sending remittance working you know the bottom 30 40 50 60 percent of the world working constantly sending that money to family a lot of the times like probably more than half and then they're getting crushed by the Western unions. And like, so they're getting destroyed by the same sort of like absolutely idiot, you know, style cobbled to, I don't know, just convoluted banking system that we all sort of battle. And that really crushes their, like that really affects them. And I see Bitcoin as like, wow, you think it helps me? Imagine how much it helps the people that really, really, really need that shit. And I just went hard and promoted it to every single person that I knew, starting when I found it in 2011. I was in the poker world. So every time I played poker, I would tell people about it. I helped market the first Bitcoin online poker site, Seals with Clubs. Seals with Clubs. I played quite a bit on Seals with Clubs. That was one of my first uh, use cases of Bitcoin besides transaction of money was playing poker against not so good poker players on Seals with Clubs. The early players were more Bitcoiners than poker players, just trying to do something with it. Just watch it yeet around the internet, see if it'll send. See if it'll receive. See if, and that's awesome, JMO. And like that, that, um, 
the butterfly effect of running around telling everybody that I knew, which are you know mostly poker players. I'm in Vegas playing you know series events and just go out and play cash during the year and just talk to people in tournaments. And uh, it's created this like so overweight with poker players like space and like the ceiling is just like so much infinitely higher. And those people that are trained up from poker, if you did poker for five, four, five, ten years before crypto, like perfectly tuned from like a risk reward standpoint, from like a couple of like. It's funny you um you bring up remittances as one of the the early use cases of Bitcoin. Um, because my background in Bitcoin, was similar to yours, I got into Bitcoin because of necessity, right? I was playing poker, and then something legislation called UIGEA passed, which basically outlawed online poker in the United States, but also outlawed the interaction of poker sites with uh, U.S.-based bank accounts. So as a U.S. citizen, not only could I not play poker, which was my job at the time, but I couldn't even move money back and forth from online sites to my bank account. Um, so my first big interaction with Bitcoin was, I think, around 2012, where I was playing poker in the Philippines. And I won some amount of money. I think it's uh, like around the equivalent of like $150,000 US. Um, but the casino there didn't do bank wires. So they just gave me uh, the entire amount in Filipino peso. And if you've ever been to the Philippines, you realize like the, the largest <laughs> bill in Filipino pesos is like $18, $15, somewhere <laughs> around there. So I was carrying a literal ton of cash around the city. My flight was leaving like the next day. I was trying to figure out what to do with it. So I hit up these people. Um, they, I think it's two French guys. They were running a crypto exchange in the Philippines called coins.ph. And I had a nice chat with them. And basically what they were doing is they were processing remittance payments from the United States back to the Philippines. Because if you're a Filipino migrant worker and you're living in the US, your options were to send it, say, Western Union and they take like, I think like between like a five and 9% fee, which is absolutely absurd for transactions, mm -hmm. or you can transact in Bitcoin and pay like a very minimal fee. So, so I went into there, they had a um, an apartment in Makati, which is the sort of like the downtown business area of the Philippines. So I went and visited them. I went up to their apartment. They just had like stacks and stacks of cash everywhere in their apartment, these two French guys. And I talked to them a bit and they were like, yeah, well, we, we process uh, Bitcoin remittance payments, but mo we don't do that much volume because usually people are sending that like $500, $1,000 at a time. And I was trying to do like a one-time transaction of $150,000, which would have been like their, literally their their three-month volume. So they were like, oh, we can do this, but we're going to spread the transactions over like the next month and a half. So we'll send you like $10,000 worth of Bitcoin every week until we pay it off. And I'm like, all right, yeah, sounds good. You guys are trustworthy. So I literally left like this garbage bag of cash in their apartment. And then they uh, <laughs> they eventually sent me all the Bitcoin. But the, that, that, like, uh, that's that a brilliant way to build a position. That's yeah, exactly. a brilliant way to build a position. Exactly, exactly. In, in 2012? Yeah, I think it was around 2012. 2012, 2013. My life roll there. was like $10,000 in 2012 when I like found it. <laughs> like, I mean, that's that's awesome. Like, that's that's a great way. And then like, it would also layer you in over like 30 days too. It's not even, yeah, it seems yeah. reasonable. I, I dollar cost averaged my way in by taking 10,000 a week for, for like six weeks straight, eight weeks straight. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. <laughs> so anyways, awesome. um, I wanted to 
to move on and talk about um, your recent interaction with Luke Dash Jr. Uh, for those who don't know, Luke Dash Jr. is a long-term Bitcoin developer. And also, he's a bit of a religious fanatic. I don't know if fanatic is the right word. He's very, I think that's right. Extremist, he, he's quite maybe? religious. And he's, I think he's made some Extremist, controversial sure. statements in the past. Uh, um, like, for example, I remember him saying that divorce should be punished with murder or something to that effect. Uh -huh. yeah. Divorce and abortion... Uh, ab abortion is uh, it's equivalent to genocide and, and divorce probably also. Yeah. So extremism by the dictionary oh, definition, not, yeah. the political, very not the political definition, but the dictionary it's called a, called a, It's called a Council of Trent. <laughs> but, but on the other side, Luke has been instrumental in the development of Bitcoin as we know it today. I'd say without his contributions, um, I don't know where Bitcoin would be today. I mean, he, he's been a Bitcoin developer since inception, I think, or like very close to inception, Pretty over 10 close, years, yeah. over 15 years or whatever the, the lifespan of Bitcoin is. Uh, so yeah, just talk a little bit about your interaction with Luke and we can go from there. Well, this is, yeah, it's, it, it's, it was great. Um, a lot of people saw it. Um, just so I don't, when I met Andreas, uh, we had actually interacted with each other on Bitcoin talk, like, you know, in 11 and 12 and stuff, which is hilarious to back that up. And like when I met him in real life, I think it was maybe five, six years ago or something. And, uh, and, and then, so one of the things we obviously got to was like Luke Jr., you know, you meet a meet an old school guy like and you're just like you know you reminisce about the early times there's only a couple hundred of us like really half more than half are just that shit crazy by now or government <laughs> assets as we learned or whatever so there's just not so just a small crowd and then so uh and so we, we got to talk about luke jr and i remember being like damn i'm i'm you know he banned me you know 2012 or 13 i don't know like because he's i'm just yeah you know, i just you know sort of take the uh i don't know i guess uh i don't know maybe i maybe somewhere between dawkins and uh and and uh Hitchens sort of like approach to religion where like I do think you should mock it at every turn I do think it's like a big net negative for humanity so when I see somebody piping up you know you know most people just you know you we get older and we get calmer and we just oh, okay I'll just not I, I don't want to fuck around sometimes I'll just ate it and just be like no fuck that like you know you know and uh and I think that's that he banned me after a little uh anti-catholicism rant I think I think 10 years ago and so I asked it I think it was it was it you who did I ask to get me unbanned was it you Andreas, I asked somebody like you to ask him when they were at, mm. I think Bitcoin Miami to unban me. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't remember. I don't think it, maybe it wasn't you. I don't even remember, but I got word to him like, "Hey man, why don't you, let's take another shot." Because I just, I really, I, I can imagine kind of Andreas. I can imagine Andreas and like the Bitcoin core developers like group chat, like, "Hey Luke, uh, my friend Brian here wants an unblock. Can you uh, unban him, please?" <laughs> take another shot. I, I don't, th I don't think I would do that because you would just come back and unban you. It's like, fuck Jesus. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, basically, right after the ten years, we'll do it again. And so, and so, and so, I don't. I guess it was you. I don't. I don't remember. But I got unbanned. He unbanned. Maybe I just po tweeted it and asked somebody. I don't remember. But um, so he unbanned me, and then uh, and then the ordinals thing pop off, and then like you know, I'm I'm a big Pepe guy. Like you know, I got I got I got two Nakamoto cards. I got I'm the rare Pepe dealer. I got a fucking rare Pepe gallery in Decentraland. I mean, I'm I'm about that life. And so uh, I'm I'm an artist. Uh, yeah, no one even saw that coming. But there's a Soda Papinski oh. right there that I wow, made in 2017. That's a beauty. That's part a beauty. of the OG Rare Pepe set. And this is a physicalized by Exer. You can buy the Soda mm -hmm. Papinski Modern Art Disaster Number 1 coming up in Bitcoin Miami 2023. It's a physical with 21 Soda Papinskis in it. It's a it's a mitered edge table made by Exer. You're going to, well, scarce city auction. You'll see. <laughs> uh, you'll see. <laughs> you guys think I'm joking, too. But I ain't joking. Uh, I know you're not joking. There's a three-part Soda Papinski Modern Art Disaster that I'll use to jettison my 500 remaining issuance.
performance over the next three years in physical pieces done by Exer. The third of which will have AI music by a Lithuanian gentleman named Gleb. That's not a joke. That's real. Anyway, so uh, where were we? Luke Jr. So, okay. So ordinals come out and then now you can jam a JPEG into the blockchain. You can look at ordinal number 1088 and see that beautiful Soda Popinski in that fucking blockchain forever. Ha <laughs> ha, Luke. Who's attacking Bitcoin? Who's using it? It's a great debate that's sparked. It really is. So like these small blockers, everybody kind of remembers, you know, you have to check what year it is. It's like, you know, in 17, there were the whole BCH split was all because, you know, should blocks be big or should blocks be small and preserve that ability to run the blockchain? Uh, and then that debate, it looks like we're about to pop that off a second time. I mean, we already have, which is awesome, which is a great happening. Even if you hate it or love it, it's great to see, you know, how if you if you think ordinals is an attack, then it's it would be interested to see how it heals or if it heals, if that's your viewpoint. If you think of ordinals as this is another really cool use case for the Bitcoin blockchain, if you're more of a like, okay, blocks could be bigger. It really doesn't matter if we jam in, you know, four, four uh, megabytes here and there. It doesn't matter. We got enough hard drive space. Everybody can run the chain still. It's not going to blow up too big. So, I mean, if you're of that standpoint, then you're like, oh my God, this is the first interesting thing that's happened in Bitcoin in a long time from a protocol level. And so uh, Luke Jr. is just like from 10 years ago, uh, is of the super small block ethos. In fact, mm -hmm. I think he made some statements a decade ago that I think Andreas would remember too, where he said, like, I hope the fee market gets to you know, $100. I hope that I wish the blocks were like a tenth as small. It's something insane. He 350, some insane 350 kilobytes. He, he basically doesn't want, he basically doesn't want anyone to like actually use Bitcoin or the blockchain uh, that Bitcoin is built on for anything else besides transacting back and forth, right? Would, would that be an accurate description of his take? I think that we got a good digital record that that is an accurate description <laughs> because the interaction that we had that you were, that you were talking about, it says, it starts with saying, hey, you know, it's great because there's now a song a day man song about it that's just been in my head just like constantly that I actually bought. Um, thank you for whoever stopped bidding. Um, we'll have to load that up in a hot minute because it's really catchy. But uh, <laughs> song a day man, lion and, 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 and trick in the code is the Google, Nick, if you're listening. Lion and trick in the code will give you the YouTube right clean. So uh, I asked Luke back and forth some I'm the director of autistic communication, so I am very good at dealing at, at speaking with autists. And now I usually use my powers for good. In this case, maybe you could make a case that I use them for evil. But I mean, I don't know, maybe I think it's worth it overall. That's where the ethical uh, balance comes out. <laughs> That's where the math comes out in my head. So anyway, so Luke said, I said, uh, basically, we can agree that they're making that ordinal transactions are making valid Bitcoin transactions. Like we can agree, right? And he says, no. And I'm like, well, okay, then how are they included into blocks? And then he re responds back with, by lying and tricking the code, which is, <laughs> I hope, an instant CT platinum hit masterpiece because <laughs> guy with narcissistic tendencies like myself, I love being included in these little happenings. Like, God damn, get me in, you know, screenshot me in. in Brian, you, you've, me you've in hacked Bitcoin. Shit. You've hacked Bitcoin. How does it feel? <laughs> feels one. God, it feels great. It feels wonderful. And it's, I actually it's wanted to go back and talk a little bit more about this. Um, so you bring up rare Pepe's. A lot of people People don't know that I think it's like 2014 around um, a protocol called Counterparty was was launched on uh, Bitcoin and is essentially what we know today as sort of a layer two where you could build tokens on Counterparty, you could build NFTs, these rare Pepe's and stuff like that. And there was a huge war in 
in um, in the Bitcoin community whether these transactions were valid. I, I believe they're called like the OP return wars, where they're trying to limit the amount of these transactions. Um, I, I think what was also included was uh, gaming transactions through Satoshi Dice because Satoshi Dice was using the blockchain as a random number generator to set up a gaming site to have provably fair results. Andreas needs to pop off here to just to just dial in some accuracies here. He's going to tell you that Satoshi Dice on-chain transactions were probably where Luke Jr. wanted to censor them, but they were just regular TX. Like there was just no way to censor that. And then I believe that other one, Andreas, what did what did he about the well, layer two, layer two counterparty being a layer two? Are you gonna you gonna pop off well, so, on that? Uh, or really, just a protocol it, using the operator. Luke, Luke Luke wanted to uh, soft fork ban Satoshi Dice by um, because I think the address had started with a certain certain thing. So he yeah, just they were using vanity addresses. This, started com- vanities, they started compiling these massive ban lists in his own fork of uh, Bitcoin, and um, because he was the maintainer of. <laughs> some operating system, I forget which one, he actually snuck it into the official distribution, which caused so much backlash. And his reason is, his reason was not the attack on Bitcoin. I think he was, I think it was in fact that Bitcoin is uh, gambling is a sin. So this got really far. And um, it was, I thought was it was it, anti-spam. I thought it was the same thing, anti-spam. Just like how he's, how I think, he's I think it was, his ordinal. Okay, it may be, but. Um, you might be right, you might be right. No, I, I, I don't, don't actually remember, remember. But the other thing, if, yeah, if counterpart is an L2 or not, it's a bit hard to say because it's um, it's the same as uh, Omni, where Tether was running. It's just, it's like a meta protocol that speaks. Um, You're just using the op return data in your own way. And then you just develop a protocol that just, okay, look, this this is how you interpret you know, if you yeah. want to, you can go look through all the op returns, and here's a, here's a rule set. And like, the, yeah. and then, you know, mean, it is, it is trading protocol. It is true, and in, in, in it is a layer to the way we know them today, in, in the sense that the fee, the fee currency is still Bitcoin, and it is also derives Bitcoin security. So I don't know. I feel to be a layer two, you have to have your own chain, but that's all right. We don't really need that's that. That's too nerdy. That's not shitcoin.com discussion. That's ayahuasca <laughs> circle discussion in Mexico. Yeah, for note that's for the future. Bitcoin. I won't call counterparty a layer two. Um, it, it does have like similar utility as what layer twos are used for today, though. I'd say for mm-hmm. sure, exactly for sure, absolutely. And I'm, I'm that's too nerdy to even correct, but I just it's just I see out there. I see Andreas like ah, and I'm like yep, no, I, I got no, it. I, I, I didn't, I didn't make your face. <laughs> I can't sleep at night. Okay, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm projecting. And I just I can't sleep unless we really address it. Okay, so so where were we? Ordinals. Look in here. Counterparty. You're on. Your mic is cutting out again. One other thing I would like to talk about with you two, since you two are um, OG Bitcoins, I say. The issue with Bitcoin scaling, or lack thereof, in comparison to the other blockchains that exist today, mainly Ethereum. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Bitcoin is essentially the same as it has been for the past 10 years. While there's these new protocols that have added quite a bit of functionality, whether it's like smart contracts or whatever. Um, do you see Bitcoin maintaining its top position without any innovation in the next 10 years? I mean, I'm very, I'm always very partial to to shilling uh, like drive chain. But if we just say Bitcoin the way it is today, then um, yeah, I mean, I guess the thing that is worrying is that um, the total amount of fees paid to use Ethereum are so much higher than on Bitcoin that 
Um, I mean, if you're realistic, means that Ethereum has superior security. And you can say proof of stake doesn't work, this and that and so on. But at some point, like there will be so much money spent on Ethereum fees uh, that it becomes a problem for Bitcoin because Bitcoin will not have that many uh, paying customers. Oh, why do you think Bitcoin people are uh, so rigid in their views as to what a blockchain is? I mean, if I was a Bitcoin developer and I was looking at, say, what Ethereum was doing, I would be like, wow, that's pretty nice stuff. Let's try to implement that on our protocol. Um, you think there's a reason why the, the OG Bitcoin developers don't want to innovate in any way? Yeah, I mean, I don't know who's who's left. There's, um, as far as I know, most of these guys have kind of all get to the point where they realize you cannot change anything and they leave the project. So I can't believe how right you were about drive chain, like even in 18 or whenever. And I mean, obviously before that for you, but I can't believe how right I, I completely get it. And this is a pretty nerdy discussion and you would have to sort of look up the bit to like really understand it. But I mean, to have something that settles to Bitcoin, but then could essentially bridge to essentially an EVM like chain, something with smart contracting and like real proper, you know, asset trading and, and things like that, like all, all, all the things that come with smart contracting, not having that settled to Bitcoin, I think was a big mistake. I think that that was a not like an extinction level event, but I think that the course of history alters greatly if uh, by, by not having it. I think having if, if Ethereum like Vitalik originally wanted it was essentially maybe through something like drive chain was essentially on Bitcoin. Then like you just have a fucking powerhouse that like everybody knows what all right, what what do we use if we're a nation state like El Salvador and we're gonna make a crazy play? Okay, well it's obviously the thing with everything. You know, there's no other choice. And so and like you said today, well yeah, maybe Ethereum is an existential threat to Bitcoin. I don't think I don't look at it like that. I like Bitcoin. I, I actually kind of like it's weird. I guess I was very much a big blocker, but more than any one side, I was like an open minded person that just likes to think about it and doesn't and and not smart enough doesn't understand the code not a developer enough to like really know what the hell the right answer is but just sort of have my my feelings that are you know and i thought that that technology would keep especially hard drive technology i thought would keep accelerating there really wouldn't be a problem with space and then but i kind of see the other side we're keeping bitcoin just very simple very small very secure not adding enough like you know evm style potential gotchas where there's like all these crazy hacks and all these crazy like contract drains and all these crazy like bridge emptiers by North Koreans and shit and just keep it very, very simple. UTXO set, very, very simple, you know, pro- public key, private key. I kind of see the value in that. I kind of see that value a little bit. And I think a lot of other, I, I mean, Michael Saylor and like all these other like sort of like big company nation state level sort of money also sort of, I think, see it, see the simplicity in it as like, this is what Bitcoin does. And that is good enough for me. It just does that and nothing else. And I think, I don't know, I see value there too. And again, still, still same, same level of confidence as 10 years ago. I don't fucking know. I, <laughs> I kind of think that blocks can get bigger, but I don't think I'm even smart enough in that arena to like make a good statement on it, like real strong statement on it. For those who don't know, uh, drive chain is BIP 300, I believe. It's a uh, Paul Storick's project to bring smart contracts and more functionality to uh, the Bitcoin blockchain. And I think it's pretty much the only hope for Bitcoin as we know it today to compete with these new uh, smart contract enabled blockchains like 
like Ethereum, Solana, Avalanche, stuff like that. Um, do you guys know of any other projects that are doing something similar to what DriveChain is doing? I know there's uh, Rootstock, but I'm not familiar. Rootstock, and, uh, yeah, RSK. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't seem to have that much traction. There's uh, something called Blockstacks or Stacks, which I'm also not yeah, familiar that, with. That hit my radar the other day. Somebody spammed me with it, but it looked like something legitimate, but I haven't looked in. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but as far as something decentralized, I haven't heard of anything. I think I think many of these projects rely on like maybe some secure computing, which means like trusted parties. I think um, I think DriveChain is the only thing I've heard of. Yeah, that is that is trustless, and it's um, yeah. I mean, it's tough, uh, especially. I'm guessing some of the people who also want to make sidechain technologies have started companies where they put some trust in themselves. So yeah, I'm I'm guessing some of the competition is actually more centralized, so that those incentives would get a bit weird as well. Do you guys have an opinion on the the need for decentralization? Um, because if you look at a lot of the protocols that are built on Ethereum stuff that are built for uh, decentralized finance and other applications. Um, if you take a deep dive in a lot of them, they aren't really decentralized. Uh, like an example I can think of, you mentioned the the bridge exploits and the bridge hacks. A lot of the bridges are just yeah. like, for example, the um, is it Phantom? That's, uh, I think one of the bridges is just like three guys that control the keys and then you deposit onto a deposit address yeah. on Ethereum and then you get the, the corresponding token token on the blockchain. I mean, that, that seems like the opposite of, of decentralization. Um, but as long as it doesn't get exploited, it seems to work better than the decentralized ones that have issues with their code and get exploited. So it, to, to me, I know there's like a lot of purists that think that everything on blockchain needs to be de decentralized, but I'm more of a guy who thinks that functionality and security is more important. If, if it's three guys that are holding a billion dollars worth of assets on a bridge, but you'll never lose those assets, I think that bridge operates better than a trustless smart contract bridge that gets taken over by North Koreans every other week. I mean, I think that we're one, I know exactly the, it's brilliant what you've described, because if you look on even under DAOs, and it even extends more, you know, past the DeFi bridges to DAOs and stuff where there's just like really big holders that are oftentimes close to the developers or are the developers. And so you're, I mean, you're right there. There's, but I think what, I think the stage we're at, like, I know it's kind of stupid and there's so many memes about like, we're still early, like we are are still early like i mean so, <laughs> so you have so you have these bridges and these these things that will probably become i mean you'll probably shift your statements about that if they check up on if, if we do this again in 10 and 20 years then you might be like oh well no now the decentralized bridges you know 20 years from now are like oh these are way better it's way better than having three guys with a key that could that could go off the deep end or we could uh scopolamine this dude and get his key and then this dude is having an affair so we can blackmail him for his key you know what i'm saying just like i'll bet in 10 20 years that shit is bullets and I'll I'll bet I mean, right now, obviously, it's just Swiss, Swiss cheese for these, uh, you know, with, with the velocity of hacks. And um, I mean, I have noticed that the amount of hacks in DeFi, either people have lost interest or they, they've gone down a lot. Like there's some... Um, it, it seems like there's there's um, just the security has improved at this I mean but just by getting wrecked so bear market things too yeah exactly but when it comes to decentralized or not uh, I mean to me it depends what I'm doing there right is it depends how much money there is if um, I mean for example FTX was a good example it seemed very trustworthy to most people uh, and then it was actually just a show in many ways and it's been the same with Bitfinex I mean most people would trust Bitfinex quite a lot I don't know about you JMO would you trust uh, I would I would trust Bitfinex, but um, I I talk with Paulo and I and I've known Phil Potter for 
uh, quite some time. They both yep. seem like trustworthy dudes, but yeah, I, I don't know situation. anymore. Like I, I was actually thinking about this the other day, like let's say five years ago, not even five years ago, like a few years ago, one of my friends wanted to get into crypto and they asked me what is secure. I would say maybe don't trade on like the, the smaller exchanges, maybe trade on the big ones like Binance, FTX, stuff like that. I, I, w- I wouldn't trust the, the lending platforms like BlockFi, which that would work out okay. But then like I would say if you want to interact with decentralized finance on Ethereum, you could use like XYZ protocol or whatever. And a few years later, FTX is gone. A lot of these pr- protocols are exploited and these people would have probably been better just hanging onto their coins, keeping them on the treasure and then just like waiting it out. Yeah. And, and I'm pretty experienced in, in all these spaces. So for like a newbie to get in and to try to make the right moves in this space only to, to get wrecked while the people that don't really know what they're doing, they might have had their money on KuCoin or Gate.io or, or whatever like secondary exchanges that have been rumored to be insolvent for like years and years and years somehow have outlasted like BTC. some of the major ones. It, it sort of makes me BTC. question my, my ability to predict these things. Mm. Same. Um, I, yeah, like I've, I've been very want, critical of FTX, like Binance. FTX looked brilliant. FTX looks so good. So good, yeah. Um, There's no way that a savvy person would have said, get your money off FTX before any of You're looking at the stadium in Miami, and this guy's bought every, he's bailed out every fucking company. You're looking at the the daily take on the derivatives markets on FTX. They're making 10 million a day. How the hell is this a fucking massive, how is there a hole in the sheet? Yeah, the the whole situation is incredible because I'm close with some of the FTX employees, like some of the Alameda traders. Yeah, it, it totally caught them off guard as well. It, it seems like it was only at the top where they knew exactly what was going on. And I know they had like a pretty lean operation. I think they employed like less than a thousand people, whereas like Binance probably employs like upwards of, of 10,000 people. So it was like a small operation to begin with, but then also like just a very small fraction of the people working at FTX or at Almeida actually knew what was going on. So it, it, it's kind of a messed up situation for, for the people um, involved involved with the with the companies but not necessarily involved in like the day-to-day decisions and finances for for them to be exposed to this they're looking at the company PLs they're like look we're printing money look our derivatives exchange prints money one a million users like how yeah it, it's absurd and a, a lot of the uh, I, I know for a fact a lot of the FTX employees got double fucked because I think they were offered last year or maybe the year before to invest in in FTX at half the last rounds valuation. So I, I think they may be raised around a, a $10 billion valuation. And I think Sam offered wow. every employee to invest up to $250,000 um, at a $5 billion. Th- these numbers may be off, but but it's something like yeah. that. So if you're an FTX employee and you see how, like, in theory, how much they're making, even if you don't have the big enough bankroll, if you can invest at half its reported valuation, you, you, might, put, you, 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 might, bar, you, you might go all in, right? You might put literally every yeah. penny you, yeah. you have into the company. Oh, oh. But so back Brutal, to, huh? um, yeah, back to like decentralized or not, then it's so hard because uh, I do like some centralized website and, you know, I've worked at Kraken. I would say like, oh, you know, I know Jesse, I know those guys. They would, uh, your money's good over there. And I would say the same about, um, uh, I guess like Bitflex in many ways. But the thing is like, I don't actually know. There could be a lot more to than I, than I know about any place. It's impossible to Are we talking Bitfinex 2016? Or are we talking like, like, or are we talking Bitfinex now and then the Tether and then, no. and then all of that? Now, yeah, I would, I would say we're talking about like the Bitfinex and Tether situation right now. 
because I actually get a lot of questions still about Bitfinex and Tether. And I mean, in my opinion, I think those things are fine, but I don't know how much my opinion really matters. Like I, I know I have some people that are involved in Tether. I know some people involved in Bitfinex. They've been legitimate people for like the five years that I've known them, but I don't know what that means today. Yeah, I, it's 2016. From because I caught a case for the whole poker thing, I am looking at the security camera. Uh, oh, 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 it's cooking with JMO. It's 2016, and then a buddy comes up to me and basically say, is, is like, hey, which exchange do I use? I want wires. And, and then, and I said, Bitfinex. You know, it's like, I'm like, I mean, you know, how bad could that have been in 16? It's like one of the only, you know, not docs anymore, obviously. Just, I, I don't know. And then he's like, he's like, it needed to be, he wasn't a US person or something. And I'm, I'm like, Bitfinex, you know, that seems to be the strongest. And then, of course, like a week later, he's got tokens instead of his funds, you know, wreck. I'm like, I'm sorry, I love it. You know, I, I, not- <laughs> I think, I think those tokens actually made it out okay, right? Like if you held those tokens and converted it to, I don't know the exact process, but like um, they traded openly and they were like half value or like maybe even 30 cents on the dollar. Then they they kept paying it off, paying it off. And then all of a sudden, even the token like. Yeah. So for for those who don't know, uh, Bitfinex got hacked for, I want to say like 70,000 Bitcoin, uh, which was a huge portion of um, their liquid assets at the, at the time, their, their user deposits. So what they did was they issued a debt token and they listed the debt token on Bitfinex itself, so people could trade Bitfinex debt. It, it's what uh, it's it's what our buddy Zane, who is an FTX employee, suggested FTX do uh, issue a debt token to the people who had funds trapped on FTX and allowed them to trade that on FTX while they recovered the whole. That that obviously didn't happen, but which is a sweet idea. Which is a great idea. I mean, if you look at what happened to Bitfinex, they um, I, I think what happened was that the token started trading in around like twenty to thirty cents, and then they gradually went up, and then Bit- Bitfinex actually offered people to convert it to some sort of equity in Bitfinex through um, an SPV. I think if you did all of that, or if you held on to the tokens, well, let's say um, each token, which is worth a dollar in debt at the time was worth 30 cents. Today, I think this worth like much more than a dollar. So people were made whole from the whole Bitcoin hack situation. It's, it's a way different scenario though, because Bitfinex by all you know, again, what it looks like to me was run like a very good, like like almost like a Bitmex kind of like Arthur and the boys that really have their shit together kind of organization. And then FTX, when you look under the hood, this guy is just yeeting the billions and the hundreds of millions every which way. Doesn't look like he was like embezzling it and trying to like make off with it. It just looks like Robinhood. Yeah, I'm in for 400 million. Oh, piece of property for 30 million. I'm in. Effective oh, altruism. Company for a billion. I'm in. You know, I'm in. Like he just said, yes, 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 yes. And he loved getting the dopamine hits of the CNN and the and the CNBC articles. And he's like, Sam Bankman saves it again. Like, you know, I think he just went nuts like that, you know, which is mm-hmm. far different than Bitfinex if you're going to issue a debt token and then future equity. You know, I mean, it just seems like one is very savable and obvious and the other one's like, whoa, let's see what, it might be savable, you might win, but this one seems more kind of crazy. I actually think it's more savable than you think because even even though he was malicious with user funds, FTX as a brand, as an operation was yeah. incredible. Like that they were mm. making they so much money. They found five billion. They found five billion or something already, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And That's if you ever use the exchange- you look at under the couch you, cushion, you're like, oh, here's some, here's some, <laughs> here's another 150 million. Oh, look, Sam, you did it in here. 
No, but if you ever use the exchange, you realize that it's like a, a very well designed exchange, right? Like yeah. they, they, they're you could process OTC through them. Um, the, the the user interface was fantastic. Like yeah. it, it was, there are real assets there. And like if if someone relaunched FTX today, like just took over all the assets, it took over the user interface, the code base, and just launched it as an exchange. I think it'd be one of the biggest exchanges in the world pretty quickly because, J- like, I'd rather J-Mo, trade you on. Said, oh, you said something brilliant. Do you remember the old uh, uh, Bitmex? When I just I just had this combo with a VC the other day. He said that it was the UI was so good, you just wanted to click it in. FTX had that same thing about yeah, yeah. Right? somehow yeah. like when you had this, you just like it felt the UI was so good, you just like. Mm. 50x leverage you're like you're, yeah. you're, i don't know i don't know what it is i can't even describe it. absolutely it, it's addicting and as someone who's used as someone who has used like every type of exchange like i i've, I've used like all the original dexes uh on ethereum um like ether delta and stuff like that I, i've used ether all the delta. like Huobi, um Qcoin, Gate.io, like all these like ridiculously shitty exchanges. I mean, I have to use them out of necessity, right? But I don't really want to use them. Whereas every time I log on FTX, I absolutely love my time clicking buttons, having fun, trading, watching numbers go up. <laughs> Watching numbers go down. Dude, new product, Trump product, right at the height of the insanity. So you could get some exposure and then like even leverage okay. now. And you're like, wait, that can't I was, be. I, I, was actually, I, I was actually live trading like election night. I think FTX. Didn't we have you on fight. Market Mania? No, we didn't have you on Market No, did you, you, did, on, you did. did you, you did. You were on Market Mania for that I was, election I was. night special. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, don't, I don't think I talked about the, the election. It was the best gambling stuff. night. Yeah, but it, it was, it was like an incredible gambling, gambling night. night. I was just sitting on my computer, like, watching the coverage. And the, the swings were incredible because uh, the way the votes are reported, like, by 4 p.m. that day, it seemed like uh, Trump was, like, a lock to win. And the market went from, like, 70, 80 Trump all the way at the nosedive down to, like, 5, 10 somewhere around there within like a few hours mm-hmm. um so it was it was a lot of fun trading the, that market on ftx jmo do you know what do you remember that was a level one thing where like anybody that looked that read really any coverage about how the votes would come in it was known that there would be the late democrat whatever's just by yeah. whatever state closes at whatever time whatever nate silver's got it got it uh, drilled and everybody yeah. knew this but it was total level one where like every tv was like the current stats are overwhelmingly trump and then i, I think it was really level one betting on this they're just immediately go bye 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 trump, 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 trump. yeah absolutely and it's you just like the... knew that it's it's gonna it's about to change it's just that's just it's pretty it's i mean it's just gonna happen like that's just the way that it, it was like reporting. the perfect market for 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 uh someone to trade those counterparties that didn't understand what was going on because all the other markets were down at the time, right? If you put a bet on any yeah. other uh, exchange, they take the line offline because it's it's not a peer to peer market. It's it's a you're betting against the house, so it's like you bet one line or you bet the other side. But in a market where you can trade that asset back and forth in real time, like it was pretty revolutionary. Like I don't think it's really offered with volume anywhere else. Did they not you have, have it on at cut limits? Sorry, what do you say, Andres? Was it not available on Betfair? Not like this. I, I don't think so. Hmm. Not like this. Not I, I also, I also don't think so Betfair ha- has the like the, the volume and the liquidity in those markets as hmm. as FTX did. The closest thing was predicted, and I think Max bets like twelve hundred. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. That, but, but, it, but it, but you still got to watch the the ebbs and flows. You still got to watch the live trading of that asset. Yeah, on FTX, you could have. I, I think I had like 
couple hundred thousand dollars in open interest at, at any given time that night. And, and I wasn't even like, I, I, I'm i friends with Alex Weiss and I know he was trading heavily, probably way bigger than me, that market. So he was, there was a lot of people the market in maker. trading. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think he, he was the, he was the Trump market maker in that market. If I, I think so, I've been, a, I, I, I think, I, I think what he did actually was he bought Trump. Yes pre-election day right so he was yes. all in trump and then w- w- when the market favored trump he just sold all his trump sold all that shit <laughs> and i think he went i think he went the other way too i think yeah. that he destroyed that I- i'm not sure i'm not sure if he actually thought trump was going to win pre-election night sure. and then decided to hedge sure. out of it or he he had this whole thing planned but it's, it sounded like he did really well in that market he's a super interesting guy i would love to, i would love to pick his brain on that Honestly. <laughs> Whoa, oh, 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 it's with um, okay. One last thing I wanted to talk uh, to you about, um, I have it on my list here, is the, the future of Bitcoin. Mainly, um, there's been a lot of FUD recently about network security in Bitcoin when the blocks have repeatedly and the block fee isn't paid to miners, thus reducing the network security of Bitcoin. Like a lot of people who are pro Ethereum think Bitcoin will die out in like 10 to 20 years because the block reward isn't going to be large enough to incentivize miners to keep the network secure. I was wondering if you guys have any thoughts on that in any way around that. Andreas probably has more just like, I don't know, study on this than I do. But to me, I always thought the fee market was supposed to emerge. Bitcoin was supposed to skyrocket. It would still be a nice reward every 10 minutes. I mean, it seems like it's going that way still. I don't know. Look, I'm not that worried about that. Should I be? Yeah, I mean, I've heard this mentioned over the years, but I, I don't understand like why wanted just a difficulty go down. Sure. Yeah. That's an obvious situation. I thought it was supposed to be self-correcting. That was the whole point. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> that's, what seem I, like, that's what I'm saying. So I don't worry about it. it. It doesn't seem like it's, it's becoming a problem. Like you don't really see... Um, like, for example, if you just look at hash rate alone, I think in like the past five years, it's trending upwards, right? Yeah, every time I look there at it, it's always be, trending upwards. But there might be so much hash power when that when that comes that, like Andreas says, like, yeah, sure, maybe the difficulty goes down. Maybe it even the hashing rate declines. But like, it still might just be so much. It would be so hard to like, you know, produce all of the hardware needed to corrupt the network still. Yeah, and I mean, the, how, how much money is paid in the in the fee market? It's just how much people are willing to spend to use Bitcoin. And I don't, why would that go down? That would only go down if if bitcoin became less useful is the way i see it so i, I don't quite understand i never understood that uh, argument really it's uh, this is one of the reasons why i firmly believe that bitcoin really needs innovations like drive chain because it sort of allows for other use cases for bitcoin rather than just peer-to-peer transactions and if it brings more users to bitcoin that'll eventually result in more fees being paid as transactions go up regardless of what they're for so i guess our, our friend Luke Dash would constitute a lot of it as spam. But as long as people are Pay paying feet. for transactions on yeah. the Bitcoin network, I don't see that as a bad thing. I, I saw the coldest take ever on this where he says that ordinals are putting undue pressure on, I think it was like, forget the word he used, like uh, marginalized peoples in third world countries that are running nodes because now they have to store more data and now it's going to cost <laughs> them more. And it's like the single coldest take I think I've seen on this, on this topic. And I mean, the answer to that is like, you might actually be so wrong that like these ordinals are building a fee market that you need for Bitcoin to survive. So I mean, like, you know, you don't know, I don't know. I, 
I don't know. I don't. I mean, but but it, it sure it sure looks like a fee market is good for for the network. Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, be it for JPEGs or, or or drive chain, you know, sm, you know, smart contract bridging, all seem good for it to me in my head, in my primitive ape brain. Yeah, it, it seems like uh, the detractors are sort of just grasping at straws right now, trying to figure out something wrong with like any innovation and trying to put it down. I mean, from an outsider looking in on like some of these statements, the, that's what I see. Like, I, I don't I don't see any real validity to these claims. There's a strange religious religiousness that, that developed around maximalism. And I think it's truly bad just because I think that you have to hold your, hold your mind open that maybe a better idea will be invented in the future like obvious it's just you know it's it's run that way in the course of all of human history but eventually you know if you wait long enough and then uh, the, that a better version comes out you know we sort of just keep upgrading and yeah, I mean, just I, like, you can't say this is the only good idea I, I think that's very important um one of the issues i have right now is um, so when I first got into crypto, Bitcoin is basically the the only player um, on the block, right? If you were in crypto, you held Bitcoin. Like the, the other coins that existed didn't re really have any claim Jokes. to have any market cap. They didn't have have any functionality. When Ethereum came around, I even remember Vitalik's uh, post on Bitcoin Talk. I know you guys mentioned Bitcoin Talk. Uh, but back in the day, Bitcoin Talk was like where Bitcoins hung out before Twitter existed, before crypto Twitter and stuff like that. You just log on to Bitcoin Talk and, and see what was up. But Vitalik made like a long post about uh, Ethereum. Uh, this is like before the Ethereum ICO. And I remember one of my good friends linked me to it and I read through it and I was like, I, this is some really good stuff. But uh, so I actually contributed to the Ethereum ICO. ICO, but the, the, the whole concept of uh, an ICO was foreign at the time. Like people were like, "So you want Bitcoin? You want our Bitcoin to develop this? Like that doesn't make any sense. You're gonna you're gonna print your own fake money out of our Bitcoin." And then fast forward like four years later, there's an ICO a day raising like thirty million, fifty million, a hundred million dollars. It, it's funny how how the space evolves. But one issue I have today is that a, a lot of the Ethereum maximalists sort of think that Ethereum has won already. Like I see that all the time. It's over. Ethereum is one. The, the, there's there's nothing else. When, when in reality, it's hard to predict these things. Like I, I know when I met Andreas, he was uh, I don't know if I want to bring this up, but he, he was more of a Bitcoin Cash maximalist, right? <laughs> yeah, I uh, I was really into that for a while around the block size wars, just because yeah, I was used to spending Bitcoin and it, it became impossible. So I really hoped it would have a chance. Yeah, and and it makes sense. Um, I, I don't think people should really be set in their beliefs as information. And as technology progresses, like the, we experiment I with it. Why not experiment with everything? Like, why not see what sticks? Why not like not be afraid to try things? Like we yeah. here in Antigua, we had the opportunity to roll out a Bitcoin cash base layer. It also could be expanded to other things like point of sale, point of sale terminals to like 60 or 70 merchants and just like see if we can like, you know, stimulate an economy, see if we can just like pick out a, a crypto and use it here as money, like in the fucking marketplace, like to run it. And I mean, I think that that experiment while it hasn't been like amazingly successful i think it's important to run it's also important to fail sometimes you know just to see like that it doesn't work and to try shit i think it's i think it's a way worse thing to not try shit and be scared of like i guess you know being in the wrong the the not cool kids club when like you know and and it's very difficult to do that in the space especially publicly to say like hey i'm going to use this coin to try to do this They're like oh you only like that coin no <laughs> but i'm going to just try this thing with like 12% of my time, of my work time, 
and see if it works and see if there's a business there and see if like the community likes it and see if we can drive adoption of it or see if that's how it works. It's fucking early. You have to experiment and try shit and not be afraid. And I think you have to not constrict yourself only to like, okay, I'm only going to use this and I'm not even going to look at anything else. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I I think Bitcoin Cash is actually pretty interesting. I mean, I think the reason that it failed, I don't know if it's failed yet, but its adoption has been stagnant for quite some time. Wasn't because of technology. Like I remember when I was using Bitcoin Cash, payments were instant, right? It was substantially better in terms of like usable transactions than than Bitcoin. Uh, the, The biggest issue is, is that no one really uses it. I mean, you have Roger and that's about it, trying to push global adoption for Bitcoin Cash. But it, there's a social doesn't... side to crypto. If humans, that's how Bitcoin was created. A bunch of humans started using it. The first guy did the pizza. And then all of a sudden, if you get you know some sort of a network effect of a couple hundred thousand people that think it's money, then all of a sudden it's money. Now, if you get some millions, then it's like starting to become hard money. You know, and just, I mean, it's, yeah, just exactly. like, it's, it's a strange marketing issue that could be a whole nother podcast around Bitcoin Cash. But like you said, shit, man. If you open the wallet, it's fast, simple, and easy, and it really does fucking work. Then, like, okay, let's, you know, why not fuck with it? Like, what's wrong with it? Why can't you use it? And I think, I, I, I think, I think the, the same. Is- I, I think everybody just auto shits on it when they hear it. No one really looks at how it works. They just auto shit on it from a marketing perspective. I think the the same is true for smart contracts or programmable blockchains with Ethereum. Like, if you look at the the other layer ones outside of Ethereum, they're they're doing some interesting things. They're like there are some that have like died out that were around. 2015, 2016, 2017 by developers that sort of started new blockchains. But it's more of the use case of the blockchain and the actual adoption versus the the technology itself. So Ethereum has a huge lead in terms of people adopting it and using it and and building on it. But it doesn't necessarily mean it has a huge technological lead over what's being developed right now. So um, I guess the question is, is will any of these chains that may have superior technology be able to gain... uh, uh, mainstream adoption to compete with Ethereum or the other major layer ones in the smart contract space? I guess we'll find out soon. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely hope so because it's the competition that drives it forward, right? That's uh, that's simply how it is. If, it, if there's just the one, if it was only Bitcoin, it would just be the same forever. Yeah. Because, yeah, you'd have you'd have nobody. Yeah, if it wasn't uh-huh. for Ethereum, I mean, smart contracts would actually seem impossible so, if it wasn't for Ethereum. So because of Bitcoin, you're just like, we have Bitcoin script. How can we possibly, how can we possibly Possibly make all these like a prediction marker lending platform that's impossible. That's what you would think. Yeah. And the same will be I true must... with Ethereum. We're talking about, I mean, the stuff we're talking about that is impossible in Ethereum today because it's too slow or it's too expensive with the gas or whatever. Well, some other chain is going to come along. And on that chain, all these things will be trivial and cheap and fast. And then that lights a fire under Ethereum, right? Yeah. yeah. Friendly competition is always good. It, it lets everyone or it forces everyone to, to improve their product or build better products. How about Solana just as a like marketplace use case where just a guy was really funding it with, you know, hundreds of tens of millions, hundreds of millions to try to pump a chain? And to try to like develop all the dApps and everything on Solana, like you know, that you know, SBF really pumped Solana, and it was it's just, I mean, it's so interesting to see another EVM chain that's like really just like ravenously funded for not even a great reason. It doesn't even have to be a great reason, just to see what happens, see what an EVM chain that like you know that that has basically like I don't know somewhere between VC and crazy guy funding. I mean, they opened up a Solana store in New York City. I mean, you know, <laughs> they did shit that's like you didn't think of an EVM. You don't think Ethereum was going to open up a store? Solana- did you? 
Solana phones, right? I actually, I actually am still waiting on my Solana phone. I, I, I sadly bought a Solana phone. I'm yeah. actually still kind of bullish on Solana. I, I believe in it. I don't I mean, mind it, dude. How cool is what they did it since the FTX explosion? Like watching OpenBook, you know, start yeah. after essentially like however. I still can't figure out how to add liquidity to OpenBook. I, I tried to just go down the rabbit hole, couldn't fucking figure it out. It's not my Uniswap. Like, let me make a pool. Here's the funds. Yeah. I don't know how the hell you guys are getting. I don't know how the hell you guys are back in that thing. But the roll bitcoins <laughs> are going back and forth, so it's fine. And and I, I mean, it just but that as a whole ecosystem and as that big happening from just a couple months ago just a just a few short months ago was that was that implosion and it looks like the solana ecosystem again sort of an amateur like outsider looking in don't really use it that much it looks like it's sort of like self-healed and sort of recovering no i i think it has or maybe not healed completely i don't think solana will ever be what it was at its peak um just because it doesn't have the ftx backing anymore but in a way it's sort of beneficial because what is going to develop from solana is going to have to happen organically it's not going to be mm. that there's not going to be like these shitcoin projects that are power funded and pushed by by ftx because i was going to say uh what mike on what you're looking for i think in many ways jmo knows better me than me but in many ways exists um polychain no What's it called? Like Polygon. Polygon, yeah. Sure. I've sure. been to their Big parties. I got their swag bags. They have like eight different chains. I don't know where the money's coming from. But by the way, by the way, eight. Polygon was the bridge I was thinking of that's like run by three guys. I'm pretty sure Polygon is the one. It's like... <laughs> I believe it's, that it's, it's three three Indian guys in someone's basement in Mumbai, and if your transaction ever gets stuck on the Polygon bridge, <laughs> you hit up Rajesh and you're like, "Hey man, can, can you send me my my, my money on on Polygon?" Can you send chain? me the Etherscan link. I need to see Etherscan link in order to complete your bridge transaction, please. I don't even know if you can do that anymore. I don't know if you're allowed to do that. Yeah, Come again. I don't know either. Cancel me. <laughs> Cancel the DAC. Cancel the DAC. It'll episode episode one of Wage Cock and we're already canceled. That was brutal. <laughs> no, no, you can jack since it's okay. Anyways, um but before we go, um there's one more thing I wanted to talk to you about. And it was so a video playing one. when when I logged on today. It was titled Cuck Tower. Oh Jesus Christ. We have can to you describe to me what Cuck Tower is? Well he's in it. I, I mean ah, Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> Is a bad joke about a lot. Of, what am I going to just tell you? Are you going to play it or are you going to, or are we going to just, no, Cuck Tower is a joke that there was a socialistic developer and then uh, he always was asking me for money for like a stupid fund that just had like a speak and spell like that that came with it. And then just like, he, and I just made up a story when we were on the, the, the call and I said, hey, I'm hiring. I need a developer. I'm starting a porn site. It's called Cuck Tower. You send your wife here. <laughs> And, and everybody gangbangs her. We give you a nice video at the end of it. It's Cuck Tower. And I just told this developer, this is not, I'm not a pornographer. I've never done this. And I just made up a story. I was real high. I made up a story. And then I told him that. I asked him also, I mean, it, it, it dragged on. And I asked him, I said, would you like to be a performer? Because, you know, part of the angle can be, you know, even even the network admin fucks your wife. And I mean, that's hilarious to me, to just one, to one guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then I actually, I, this is Cuck Tower. This I come to you from Cuck Tower because because <laughs> it's more Mycon Mycon yes. ended up selling so many Pepe's that he is actually has a long term lease on Cuck Tower. I mean, Cuck Tower is he's in it right now. Oh wow, it's a great view from Cuck Tower. <laughs> 
it's a beautiful. I, I was actually going to say, I was actually going to say, so, so me and Andreas have this thing where uh, we decided if Bitcoin ever hits was $100,000, we would run a battleship and we would throw a party on a battleship. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I, I know a guy who can get us a battleship and we're going to throw a party on the battleship. Okay. M- maybe we should set a price point for Bitcoin for where we can make cocktail a reality. It's about a, mi- oh, it's about a million. It's about a million. Okay. To buy that. Now they want too much for it. It's an old decree. There's shit that falls off. The concrete falls off. But they want a million for it. It's probably worth about half that. It's been in the family since the 1800s. And then if you really, then I guess <laughs> there is another room. I mean, we could soundproof it. We could lay down some plastic or something and, you know, we got a cleaner. So I mean, it's possible. We'd have to employ a, <laughs> have to employ a jizz mopper. I mean, I just definitely, just and it's a, there's a winding stairs going up, but there would be a huge health yeah. hazard as well. But, uh, <laughs> How about, about two hundred thousand? If, if Bitcoin hits two hundred thousand, we'll we'll make cut calorie a reality. <laughs> well, let's agree to that. Two employees. There's two employees that work here for them. Guys, they'll both be down. They're both down with it. They're both. They both seem crazy. I guys. know those guys. They're they down in the morning. Yeah, they're five eight. Yeah, Andreas met them. Yeah, it's fine. The other room. Okay. All right, Jamo. What do you think? OnlyFans is a subscription model? I've never done this before. We got some friends in Vegas that that have. I mean, we can call them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could could make this into a profitable business. Like, you think this is a meme, but... Of course it's going to make money. It's a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) We will. I don't think it's the actual guy who reached out to, but we will get like a web dev, like a four foot 11, like web dev. That'll just, like, I'm just saying, like, that'll just, like, so, you know, five, uh, a, midget, a midget web dev that also does the cutting. And he just, like, looks right at the camera, like, why'd you send your wife here? Like, I don't know. <laughs> we could work his out. job description on his, his name tag will be web dev slash cucker <laughs> head cu- yeah no we could workshop it there's something here perfect <laughs> something perfect here. perfect all right God, uh, I, I, to- I think that's all we have for today andres anything else i had nothing to add all right brian uh <laughs> thanks for coming on <laughs> hey this is great this is a great <laughs> first episode